Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, she sat at the table by herself and just kind of stared out into space. Sometimes she'd look at the walls. Sometimes she'd look at her hands. Sometimes she'd look at the table. It was, a, it was a rare moment that she was there by herself. That didn't happen often, but she had sent the girls into town by themselves. She said, you, you go to the market. You know what we need. You, you get that. She, on this day, wasn't up for an, an awkward trip into town with their stares and their questions and their kind of empty sympathy. She needed some time to think by herself because the conversation that they were going to have to have was not going to be an easy one. The little house had become their home. There wasn't much there, but there probably wasn't much that they could take with them. She didn't want to take much of it anyways because it held so many memories of their loss. It was a hard decision for them to have come to that place in the first place, but at some point you have to make hard decisions, especially when you realize we really have no other choice. But she and her husband had had thought this through. Truth is, she'd have followed him anywhere. If he'd said we were going to the moon, that's, that's where she'd have gone. But in this particular instance, they knew th- there's, there's options are few. Either we stay here and starve, or we break up our family, or we go somewhere else. So they'd chosen to relocate. She loved her husband. Even though her marriage to Elimelech had been an arranged marriage from the time she was a little girl, she dreamed of their life together, but she never dreamed that at some point it might actually become more of a nightmare. She sat there looking at the walls in the house that now seems so empty, looking at the rough wood on this table that he had made with his own rough hands when they had moved to this strange town, hands that she used to hold in her own. And now her hands were just empty. They had lived a good life. And then, well, it it was senseless, his death. And the details of it were hard for her to think about, let alone talk about. And when he died, he left her there with their two sons. They weren't boys anymore, but they really weren't quite men either. And they'd reached the age when it was time for them to marry, and here they were in a foreign land. It wouldn't be easy for them to find wives, but they did. They, they both found wives of strong character who became quickly a part of their family. They were interesting boys, her two sons, Milan and Killian. They were good boys, but they, they just weren't as strong as their father. We don't know if it was something genetic. Maybe she just babied them from the start, but they always seemed kind of frail. And so when this great sickness hit their village, it hit the boys hard. And she had watched them both die. And now it was just her and their two young wives, Orpah and Ruth. And it wasn't feasible for them to stay in Moab any longer. Travelers from Judah had come back and said that the famine was over. And so after 10 long years, she was beginning to plan in her mind, maybe they could go back and leave where they were because there was nothing there for them anymore. Maybe they could go back. And when they did, what would she find? Would people remember her? Would they care? Would her family embrace her or had they disowned her? She didn't know what she would find when she got there. She just knew as she heard the girls approaching back from the market that today was the day as they sat at the table, 
in that small house that a very difficult discussion had to happen. That room held too many memories, and they had lost so much. It was time to go, but only God knew what was ahead. That may give you just a little bit of a snapshot into the mind of a woman whose name is Naomi. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's where we're going to be for the next few weeks, and we're going to take some time to look at one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. It's a, it's a great story. It's a short story. It's only about four chapters, and it introduces us to some of the richest characters in the Bible in the book of Ruth. Of course, there's the character Ruth. We'll look at her more next week. There's her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi, and then in a couple weeks, we'll get introduced to a guy whose name is Boaz, and what you need to realize is that this is not just some kind of short story that God put in the Bible to fill a few pages. This is a powerful story. It's a tragedy. It's a love story. It's a rich theological tale. It gives us a glimpse into life in the ancient world. And this little book of Ruth actually sets up God's redemption story through the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. It's a powerful book. And it's really fitting that we start this study on Mother's Day. Because today we're going to look at the influence of one lady and how powerfully her life affected not just the life of her family, but as you'll see as we kind of springboard off of this in the next couple of weeks, how she impacts even your life today. And so we're only going to get through the introductory part. We're not even going to get all the way through chapter one today. I just want to make some observations as we go through this. And today, for whatever reason, might not be completely the day that you, that you thought it was going to be. Happy Mother's Day, moms. <laughs> we haven't started with the happiest story in the Bible, have we? <laughs> but we might have started with one of the most real. I've never been a mom, <laughs> but I have one, and I'm married to one, and I know a lot. And happy Mother's Day is a great thing to say. It doesn't always work out that way. I think in reality, motherhood is somewhere between hallmark and heartbreak, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's what we find, and that's what we're going to see in this story today and how in the midst of all of this, God is there. So let's jump in. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Moms, we're going to focus on you a little bit today. I want you to see how powerful your role is. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. A lot of words that don't mean a whole lot to us in geography and our life, but let's, let's dig into them for just a moment. One, they were in the city of Bethlehem. Have you heard of Bethlehem? It becomes a really important city. It's where David's from. It's where Jesus was born. You hear it over and over again in Scripture. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And it says that they lived there in the time when the judges ruled. If you've never read the book of Judges in the Bible, in the Old Testament, I'd encourage you to read it. It's kind of like one short action story after another. It's a captivating book. If it was made into a movie, it would probably just grip you with all the tales that are there. But it also portrays a really dark time in the period of God's people, the Jewish people in Israel. Because, well, let me show you what it says. The end of the book of Judges says this. Chapter 21, verse 25 says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's the Wild West, isn't it? <laughs> like, it was a crazy place. This is the place 
that we see Naomi and Elimelech's family at this time. And it says that there was a famine in the land. Now, that's not necessarily uncommon, but this must have been a pretty severe famine, and it was in a unique place, kind of an ironic place, because it was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, if you look at the name of that town, means the house of bread. So it was known for its agriculture. It was known to produce food. Wheat and barley and almonds and grapes were known to come and continue to come from that area of Israel near Bethlehem. And there was a famine that was so severe that something had to be done. And so Elimelech and his wife Naomi make a decision that they're going to go from their home in Bethlehem to a place called Moab. And here's a map that'll help you to get a little bit of perspective on what we might be looking at as we talk about this. You'll see that over there to your left, you see Jerusalem and Bethlehem there over to your left. Can you see that? Okay, then to your right, you see the Dead Sea. To the north coming out of the Dead Sea, there's the Jordan River, which actually flows into the Dead Sea from the Sea of Galilee. And then to your right, to the east, you have this region known as Moab. Now, we don't know exactly where they went in Moab. Scripture doesn't tell us. Nor do we know the route that they went. They probably had one of two options. They could have gone to the north, from Bethlehem up around the Dead Sea and into Moab from there. Other scholars think that maybe they went to the south and actually crossed um, right across the Dead Sea. There are portions, you can see that peninsula going across, that there are seasons when the Dead Sea is so low that there's actually little land bridges where you can walk right across the the Dead Sea and, and have seen that when we visited there. And so we don't know exactly which way they went. It probably took them um, a week to make this journey. It was a big deal for them to make this decision to leave their home. This would be a tough thing, especially because Moab was known as an enemy to Israel. And it says they're only going to live there for a while. They just need to get away from the famine. They're they're sojourners. They're just going to stay for a little while until the famine breaks. And what was a big deal about this is it says that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. That's the clan that they're from. That means they're long-term Bethlehem people, that their families have been there a long time. They have deep roots. So you can imagine that after being in that city for generations, it was no little thing for them to leave. This is a pretty powerful story if you think about it. Do you you have any songs that make you cry? Anybody? Like you hear something and it just kind of gets you in your heart. I notice a lot of the the moms, a lot of the ladies nodding their heads. You know, they're like, yeah, you're thinking of one right now. A lot of the guys are like, I'm too cool for that. You put your tough guy on. But just deal with it. There's certain things that kind of hit us in our hearts at times. It, it might be a movie. It might be a song. For me, I hate to admit it. I think, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a sign of weakness on my part. My family makes fun of me. But you ever seen that show, America's Got Talent? Gets me right here. I don't know why. Like, they'll, they'll have these little stories that they'll tell people before they do their acts. Anybody seen this? You know what I'm talking about? And they make these videos to, like, rip your heart out before they actually rip your heart out. Man, so when we watch it, I have to sit over in the corner because I know that if I'm over, my family's, my, my insensitive, cold-hearted family. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Um, they're going to make fun of me. Why? Because it kind of gets me right here. There's certain songs when I hear them that make me think of my dad. Like, it gets me right here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Look, the Bible is an emotional book. When you read those first couple of of verses, and especially the way it was written in the Hebrew, this wasn't written just to inform you. This was written to to touch your emotions. You're not just supposed to learn from it. You're supposed to feel it. Do you see the hurt and the pain that Elimelech and Naomi are going through because they have to leave their home and go someplace they don't know? 
A lot of times we read scripture and we read it like it's facts or it's history and we've just got to push through it. But God has designed us as emotional people and he wants us to see the emotion that's here. The stories of the Bible should be read through a lens of human emotion. This is real for us to consider, that these are emotional stories that happen to people with emotions. Understand the difficulty that they're going through, which then leads you to verse 3, Ruth chapter 1. Now, Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I wanted to pick the happiest story in the Bible I could find for Mother's Day. (laughs) Elimelech died. We don't know any of the details. We just know that she was left there with her sons. Can you imagine the burden on Ruth? They're right at that marrying age. In that society, she was probably approaching her 40s, and they were probably in their early 20s. And at that time, she had young men that weren't really boys, but they weren't quite the man of the house yet, but they had to grow their family. See, in that time, you didn't have retirement plans. You didn't have 401k. Your retirement plan was to have sons. Because at some point, your sons would take care of you, would take care of the home, would take care of the farm, would supply for you, would sustain you. So if you didn't have sons, you didn't have a future. So she knew that for her sons to have sons, they would have to have wives, which meant they would have to marry some of the Moabite women, which is interesting because we just talked about in the book of Ezra how the Jews were not supposed to marry people from other nations. Do you remember that? It was a matter of not race, but of religion. What's interesting is in the Old Testament, there's no express forbidding of Jews to marry the Moabites. They were enemies, but nowhere does it say you shall not marry Moabites. So it wasn't the best thing to do, but in this situation, it was what they had to do. They had no other choice. And so these two guys, Malon and Killian, whose names, if you dig down to the root meaning of their names, both have the idea of frailty to them. Isn't that something? When Naomi introduced them, this is my son, weak and frail. Here they are, right? (laughs) How'd you like that? (laughs) We don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know what it means. But they picked two wives of strong character. We'll see this. They're, they're good girls. And then, after they get married, couldn't have been too long after, they both die. We don't know why. And I kind of imagine maybe it was a sickness that went through. Did they die separately or individually, or did they die at the same time? Was it a sickness? Was it an accident? We don't have any idea. We just know the story says that they no sooner get married, and not too long later, they both die. And again, Naomi is, listen to the way it says, Naomi is left. And it's just her and her daughters-in-law. And without her two sons and husband, her hope and security are now gone. Women in that day and time didn't have much standing, didn't have much rights, especially a widow in that culture. So her options would be few. She could go into slavery, she could go into prostitution, or she could die. At which point she says, I've got to make some kind of choice here. Maybe I can go back. Maybe I can go home. Now look, I realize that this is a little bit morbid for Mother's Day. For some reason, God has us in this text, and yet there's an awful lot of reality in this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15 says this, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. 
They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Here's what the Bible tells us, and, and this is just really true, that life comes with loss. Life comes with loss, that, that at some point we will experience this. We live in a fallen world that's still affected by sin, and so nothing, nothing good is permanent until we get to heaven, and so as a reality of that, as a fact of that, there will be times when we will experience loss. And on Mother's Day, it might not be a bad day to talk about that, because for some of us, Mother's Day is all flowers and cards and celebration and apparently Sky Zone, right? You've got all those things, you know, that are great. And yet for a lot of moms, it's tough. It's a tough day. It may be a day that reminds you of your loss. Maybe your loss of a mom, your loss of a spouse that's no longer with us. It's a reminder of how things don't always go the way that you hoped that they would. The loss of a relationship, a dream, or a longing that was never fulfilled. It's, it's difficult to understand, but life comes with loss. The reality is not much will last forever. As soon as you buy a car, you have to begin to wrestle with the fact that you're going to have to replace it someday, right? When you buy new clothes, those clothes are going to get worn out. They'll probably go out of style. In fact, some of us should probably talk. When you buy a gallon of milk, it has an expiration date. Like, we know that, right? And we know that about people, but that one's not so easy to wrestle with. That one's difficult to talk about, that at some point we, we may experience the loss of someone that we love. That's so poignant in this story. We have to ask the question, where's God in the middle of this? Like in a couple of weeks, we're going to really dig in to Naomi and her character and her experience. We're just kind of getting a bird's eye view of it today. But where is God in the middle of this? Maybe your, your heartbreak hasn't, your loss hasn't looked like what Naomi's did. But I'm going to guess that for some of us, and maybe even it's amplified on Mother's Day, you, you know similar loss. Look at what scripture says about God in these times. Psalm 68, verse 5. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. Is God in his holy dwelling? Look, even when you're in the midst of heartbreak, God defends those in need. And I, and I picked that word really carefully there, that God defends those in need. He's there. He has your back. He's looking out for you. Psalm 1014 says this, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. We're going to unpack some themes over the next couple of weeks in the book of Ruth. And we don't have a lot of time to do it today, but this is one I don't want you to miss. And notice this, and some of you need the hope that this brings today. The book of Ruth is a story of grief redeemed. As dark as it looks here in verse 5, the story's going to change. It's going to be different as we look at this and watch this. The book of Ruth is a story of how grief can be redeemed. Let's go back to it. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. The Lord had come to their aid. That's a beautiful phrase right there. He had provided food for them again. He had provided for them, and the famine was over, and now she says, maybe I can go back home. And what's interesting is that it's a given, 
right, that she's going to leave, and it says she's going to go back home, but that her daughters-in-law are going to go with her. Is, is Judah, is Bethlehem the home for her daughters-in-law? No, but they're going to go with her. Why? I believe it's this, that because they had gone through a time of such trauma and such tragedy, even though it hadn't been very long, it had pulled them together. Have you ever noticed that sometimes if you go through something difficult with someone, it connects you to that person in a very special way? Do you know what I mean? And there's a truth here that I think is important. And moms, don't miss, don't miss your role in this. This is critical. Times of pressure will either bring people together or tear them apart. It's going to be one or the other. Times of pressure will either bring people together or tear them apart. The truth is, if, if you consider, let's just consider your home. If you have cracks in your foundation, that's a bad thing. And you know when the cracks become visible? They become visible when there's pressure. Anything that you have, if the integrity of it is not structurally sound, you know when you're going to see that? You're going to see it when there's pressure. And I can tell you, your relationships, your family, they operate in the same way. When there are times of great pressure, what happens, and as a pastor, there's times when I've had a front row seat to this at weddings and funerals both of which that can be fun to just kind of sit back and watch, right? And if there's a crack there, if there's a place where there's a rift in a relationship or there's a difficulty in a family or there's forgiveness that has not been sought or there's challenges between people, you know when it's going to become evident? That crack's going to show up when there's pressure. So I would encourage you, if you can address that, that, that rift, if you can address that challenge, if you can address that crack before the pressure comes, it's going to be sustained much stronger in the midst of the pressure. Does that make sense? A lot of times we fail to see this. You're better off to deal with it before than after. And apparently there was something that even in the midst of this pressure caused Orpah and Ruth to say, we will go with Naomi. Because somehow this, this had brought them together. Verse 8, then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud. I think there's a, there's a beautiful picture of motherhood there in, in how selfless that statement is. Naomi's about to go on this great journey by herself back into the unknown. And although these, these girls may be obligated to go with her as her daughters-in-law, she says to them this selfless statement. And I honestly don't believe she was being sarcastic. I don't think she was being trite. I don't think she was just saying the right thing. I think, and you'll see this as we go through this passage, she meant it from her heart. You go back. Don't go with me. And she doesn't say, go back to your father's house. Do you see what she says here? She says, go back to your mother's house. Why would she say that? It's not because their fathers weren't living. It was because, and this is very unique that she says it in this way, because with her mother is where that young lady would find comfort, and with her mother is where she would be prepared for a future marriage. So what Ruth was saying, or what Naomi was saying to Ruth and to Orpah was this, get on with your life. Look, you don't, don't, don't stick with me. Find security, find strength, find a place with someone else. It was very selfless the way that she said that. And the truth is, if, if you dig into it, to love is to be selfless. If you're going to love someone, then at some point you, you set yourself aside in the midst of that. To love is to be selfless. Here's how Paul says it. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in love. 
honor one another above yourselves. Some Bible versions say prefer one another to yourself. To love someone is to be selfless. And I've watched this over and over again. My own home with many of you, mom selfless is on your job description, isn't it? I mean, think about the signs of a frustrated mother when your children know how to beat every level of Super Mario but can't operate a vacuum cleaner. Can I get an amen? Right? When your children tell you that the answer was yes and you don't even remember what the question was that they asked. When you go to the grocery store just because you want to have a good time. Anybody? And you can't remember the last time you didn't have to share your drink with a toddler. When you mistakenly tell your kids that it's sanity time when you meant to say bedtime. Does that make sense? When you go to sleep with I'm bored or I'm hungry still ringing in your ears. That's the role of a mother. And so much of it requires selflessness. You see this modeled by Naomi in this passage. And then watch the emotion. Verse 10, it tells us that they were kissing and that there were tears. And then Orpah and Ruth said to her, we will go back with you to your people. That's no small statement for them to make because it's not just we will go back with you and then maybe we'll come back. We'll we'll go help you move into your apartment. And then they said, we're going to go back with you to your people, not our people. That means we're going to leave our family. We're going to leave our friends. We're going to leave our gods. We're going to leave our homes. We're going to leave our security. We're probably leaving the opportunity to find a husband in the future because of the racial division that would be there amongst their religions. They were saying, we will go with you. A tremendous act of love that you see expressed there that comes back from Ruth and Orpah to Naomi, and I think it's because they had seen that modeled from her. She had given herself to them. Now they're willing to give themselves back to her. And you might not realize that this is happening, but it does. It happens. There's something that's building that's taking place in your homes and in your families as you interact with one another. I would take it beyond that, that it happens in your workplace. It happens in the interaction you have. Here's what I see, that little actions influence big decisions. That the little things you do, Naomi, are going to affect how Orpah and Ruth respond to you. That your little actions influence big decisions. You ever watched, I, I love to watch a, a very accomplished musician or an athlete do something and they make it look easy. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of a novice guitar player. Sometimes I'll watch somebody play something. They'll play a lick, they'll play something. And I go, Psh, I can do that. And then I pick up my guitar and I realize very quickly, there is no way that I can do that. I don't have that skill. And you can be down on yourself until you start to realize that, do you know why they can do that? Because they've practiced that over and over again, not for one day or one week or one month or one year, but that's year on year on year of little actions that have added up to something big that they can do. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you look at an athlete and they make what they do look simple. It's not because they're crazy gifted only. It's also because of the time and the, and the ability and the, the practice that they've put into this. Your little actions influence big decisions. And I think the same thing's true in our homes. And we cannot, we cannot dismiss this, that the little decisions that we make and the little words that we say and the little choices that our children observe and the little priorities that we put out there, those are all things that are going to add up in their lives to make a big difference. So that the little love that Naomi showed to those girls day in and day out, when it was time to make a big choice, those little actions influenced the big decision. And they said, no, no, we'll go with you 
to your people. Verse 11 of Ruth chapter 1. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you. Isn't that a powerful line? We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. What is she talking about here? In the book of Deuteronomy, we read about something that was called Leverite marriage. And what it was was if, 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 if there was a husband and he had a wife and they had no son and the husband died, then the expectation in that culture is that if the husband had a brother, the brother would marry his wife so that she would be able to have a son who would not only carry on her husband's family name, but would also care for her, kind of her retirement plan. Does that make sense? So there was this Leverite marriage. And so what Naomi is saying here is, is look, I have no more sons. Like, like I could give you another son in according with the, with the law, but I don't have any. And even if I got married today, which I'm not going to, I'm too old, but even if I got married, it would take so long for me to have a son and for that son to grow up. that you, you can't wait that long. It makes no sense for you to go with me Go back to your mother's house. Get yourself a husband. You don't need that kind of commitment to me. This makes no sense, she says. The truth is, sometimes what we do in families doesn't make sense. Sometimes in families, what we do is sacrifice. Sometimes what we do is selfless. Sometimes we submit to one another. Sometimes we have to have a sensitivity to the needs of another person that go beyond the needs of ourselves. That's what a family is all about. And sometimes I've got to be reminded of that, that my actions in the home affect not just me, but affect everybody around me. Have you ever found that to be true? There was a little girl, she was sitting at the kitchen counter and she was coloring, and her mom was at the sink and she was washing dishes. And the little girl looked up at her mom, and all of a sudden she started staring at her because her mom had this kind of dark brunette hair, but there were a couple of little silver streaks in her hair. She had a few gray hairs. Apparently it was time for that appointment. You know what I mean? So she's got those, those gray hairs that are there. So the little girl looks up at her, and she says, Mommy, why, why do you have gray hairs? And the mom's thinking, oh, man, what do I say? And then she thought, I have a teaching moment here. And she turned, and she looked at her daughter, and she says, Honey, Every time you're bad or you make mommy cry, I get a gray hair. The little girl stopped for a moment. She thought, and she goes, poor grandma. You must have been really bad. How you live in your family affects other people. Back to Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung, Ruth clung to her, has this idea of, I am not letting 
go. It's the same word that's used in the book of Genesis to describe the commitment between a husband and a wife. It has to do with a relational decision of, of just commitment and covenant. Ruth clung to her. It says that Orpah kissed her goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And we can have a tendency to kind of look at this story and go, Orpah, you are a loser. Right? Why didn't you stick around like Ruth? Why didn't you have the character that Ruth had? The truth is that Orpah, what she did, it actually made sense, didn't it? She says, you know what, Naomi, you're right. <laughs> what you're saying makes sense. In fact, I'm going to obey my mother-in-law. This is what her mother-in-law told her to do. And history tells us that she left, and then she went on to have a hit TV show, started her own network, <laughs> right? Orpah? No, don't get that confused. It's a joke. But not Ruth. For whatever reason, it says Ruth... Ruth clung to her. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Look, Ruth, this makes no sense. For the third time, why are you doing this? Go back to your people. Go back to your God. The God of the Moabites was, was known as Chemosh. C-H-E-M-O-S-H, Chemosh. That was their, their god, that the, the false god, the idol that they worshiped. And Naomi says to Ruth, Ruth, this makes no sense. Go to your people because you're not one of my people. Go back to your god. Look, you, you don't belong here. Go with your daughter-in-law. That's what makes sense. Verse 16 has one of the most powerful expressions, not just in this book, but in all of scripture. But Ruth said to her, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. She basically said to her mother-in-law, stop it. Anybody ever wanted to say that to your mother-in-law? <laughs> you got to pray that through. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That was a powerful statement, wasn't it? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. I want you to see this, right? She says, your people will be my people. Then she says, your God will be my God. What's interesting here is she didn't know Naomi's God at the beginning. She only knew Naomi. And Naomi showed Ruth who her God was. She knew God through Naomi before she ever knew God for herself. Listen, and parents, this is really key. Individuals may often know God through his people before they know him for themselves. You may have people in your workplace, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people, front, long-term friends, that you want them to find the love of God that you found, but they're never going to find it if they can't see it in you, because they're going to have to see that it's your God before they're able to make it their God. Does that make sense? I mean, that expression is so powerful here. She says, look, where you die, I will die. That's a big deal, because it was an honor to be buried with your family, and she says, Naomi, now you're my family. Where you die, I will die. 
covenant, and that's what she's expressing here. Covenant is expressed by commitment to a family, to people, to God. And the truth is, the day and time we live in calls for covenant loyalty. In our homes, in our families, in our expressions to one another, we live in a wishy-washy world, don't we? People change their minds more than they change the channels on their TV. And guess what? History is made by people who say, I've made up my mind. That song that those girls sang was so powerful. They say, look, I am never going back. And that's what you're going to see in this story. And look, here's what I want you to know. And, and we won't see this played out until we, we keep going through the story. The book of Ruth reminds us that God is able to redeem what has been lost. Mother's Day is a great day because of what we celebrate, because of what's wonderful about it, but it can also be a painful day. And I want you to know, on whichever side of that you're on, to be reminded that God can redeem what has been lost. Look, a friend of mine um, gave me this, this reading, and I thought it was just powerful, and I want to share it with you today, that talks about just kind of the continuum of mothering that we see on a day like today. Here's some expressions that may encourage you. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit in love with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience and your pain. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those whose past includes abortion, we remember the unborn child and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not yet turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we dream with you and we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst, and we remember you. And when we look at the story of Naomi, we're reminded of the power of a mom. I love it because Naomi had such influence on a daughter 
that wasn't even really her own. She was only in her home for a short time, and yet those, those little things, who she was, influenced Ruth in such a way that before we get to the end of this book, Ruth will be a mom. And that child will have a child who will have a child who will have a child that will affect the destiny of the Old Testament, whose line will then lead to the Son of God, Jesus himself. See, when you talk about Naomi, you're not just talking about some random lady in the Old Testament. You're talking about a pretty great grandma to Jesus himself. And one of the most powerful things in that whole passage is when Ruth says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Because think of the words she uses there. She does not say your Chemosh. Remember Chemosh was the Moabite God? She doesn't say your Chemosh will be my Chemosh. She says your Yahweh will be my Yahweh. She says, Naomi, your God has become my God. What I saw in you, I now want for myself. And that literally will affect the destiny of humanity. Know this, who you are shows others who God is. They'll see that in you. And that's true for all of us. And moms, that's so true for you. Who you are shows others who God is. And who you are influences who others will become. Here's what you'll find in this story. You can't have a Ruth without a Naomi. And mom, you make all the difference. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? The beauty of the book of Ruth, the beauty of the book of Ruth lands somewhere between hallmark and heartbreak. That in the reality of life, we recognize the roles God has given to us and the influence that we play there. Hopefully there's been something for all of us to take today, but moms, before we're done, I wanna pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word and the way that it speaks to us. And God, in particular today, I, I pray for the mothers in this room. Those that may be in the midst of just a beautiful, joyful season in life, and God, maybe those that, that can actually relate in more ways than they like with Naomi. Lord, for many of us, life falls somewhere in between. God, would you remind us that you're with us in all the moments of our life? Father, would you, would you show us your faithfulness and your grace? Would you remind us that those little everyday things make a big difference? God, in those times when we choose that selfless act, even if we don't see the blessing in that moment, remind us of the difference that it's making in lives. God, may others see you through us so that our God would become their God. Lord, would you bless marriages? Would you bless homes? God, I pray for the single mom today that you would bless her with strength. God, I pray for the lonely mom today that you would bless her with your presence. God, I pray for the tired mom today that you would give her your stamina. God, I pray that you would help us to see the influence that we have when we allow you to live through us. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.
We'll see you next Sunday.